boxing. But first, let's have a look at our memory scripture for, for this week. Our memory scripture for this week is from Romans 8, 28. It's a scripture which is well known to us. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That can be a great strength to us in times of trial. A great strength to us in times of trial. And uh, it's a good verse for us to, to remember uh, because it gives us that strength. When, when things are not going as we would like them to, we can rest on that scripture. You know, in the end, it'll be okay. In the end, it'll be okay. There are alternative translations of that scripture, by the way. And uh, one that I like goes something like this. Uh, and we know that in all things, God works together with those who love him to bring about what is good with those who have been called according to his purpose. So there we are, the uh, memory scripture for this week. As I mentioned, it's a Pentecost Sunday today, and um, I, I noted that, of course, in our weekly newsletter. All around the world, as I said, uh, Christians are celebrating Pentecost Sunday. And it's particularly an important day for those of us who are aligned with one or other of the Pentecostal movements. Australian Christian Churches, of course, is the largest Pentecostal movement uh, in Australia. And by the way, we call ourselves a movement because we're open to people from all denominational backgrounds. So I was brought up in the Anglican Church, and I suppose in a sense formally I'm still Anglican. I was baptised as a baby into the Anglican Church. I was confirmed at 15 years of age, in, at, sorry, at 13 years of age into the Anglican Communion, but I'm now pastoring a Pentecostal church. We see ourselves as a movement. We're open to anyone who wants to walk through uh, the doors, as it were, and join us. So I want to share with you a few thoughts about Pentecost before we move on uh, to communion. And I know last year I spoke about the transforming power of baptism in the Holy Spirit and looked specifically at Peter and how Peter was transformed from somebody who lacked courage, who had actually denied Jesus Christ, and uh, he'd been transformed into somebody who powerfully, very powerfully brought the gospel to the attention of many. Through the work of Peter, congregations were established in cities in many different places. But what I want to do today is to point out a very important scripture in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 to 47. Because in this short passage of scripture, we find, as it were, the secret of the early church, the reason why it was so successful in spreading the wonderful, freeing truth 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts 2, 42 to 47, reading from the Amplified Bible, this is what it says. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to fellowship, to eating meals together and to prayers. A sense of awe was felt by everyone and many wonders and signs attesting miracles were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed in Jesus as Savior were together and had all things in common, considering their possessions to belong to the group as a whole. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing the proceeds with all the other believers as anyone had need. Day after day, they met in the temple area, continuing with one mind and breaking bread in various private homes. They were eating their meals together with joy and generous hearts, praising God continually and having favor with all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved. The words that are in italics and in bold font there, that's my doing. I did that because I wanted to draw attention to those, to those words. The number being added to every day, that was the outcome of the way in which the early Christians lived. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles. And uh, our modern day equivalent is being absolutely sold out to the scripture, to be building our lives upon the truth that we read in the Bible. That should be the foundation of our lives. The Bible should always be the final arbiter on all matters concerning our faith, what we believe and what we practice, as it was. They didn't have a written Bible, of course, but they certainly had scripture and they certainly had the witness of people who knew Jesus Christ and they stuck to that resolutely, not allowing themselves to be persuaded by other ways of thinking. They were committed to fellowship. In other words, they spent time together. Of course, at the present time, it's not so easy for us to express fellowship, but this time will pass. And if we want to be effective witnesses in our world, we need to demonstrate that we actually like each other, that we love one another enough to fellowship, even to the extent of eating meals together and praying together. Even without necessarily being on a street corner preaching the gospel, the way in which we live sends a very important and powerful message to the rest of the world. Verse 46 says, day after day they met in this te temple area, continuing with one mind. That is, they were together 
and they were in unity as to what they believed. They were breaking bread in various private homes. So they actually gathered together and they held communion services in each other's houses. And as you know, Jeanette and I take communion regularly at home. Not every day. We don't want to make it a religious thing, but we regularly share communion together. And uh, we pray. We pray for you. We pray for ourselves. But importantly, we use it as an opportunity to remember what Jesus did for us. In that last song we sang, the wonderful truth that we've been set free, set free from sin, set free from death, set free from oppression, the very truth. And we do that when we break bread together. The early Christians used to visit one another. Part of the reason was for for security. It was very dangerous to be a Christian in those days. But they went to the temple. In fact, some historians say they continued to worship in the temple along with the Jews. But in their homes, they fellowshiped and they shared memories of Jesus and what he taught. And while they were fellowshipping in one another's homes, their hearts were filled with joy and generosity. And as I've often said before, generosity is in thought, in word, and in deed. It's not simply about giving your money away. It's about thinking well of other people, thinking generously of people and situations, speaking generously about other people and situations and acting, of course, in a generous manner. And you see, people saw this and they saw that they were praising God. And what does it say here at the end of verse 47? They had favour with all the people. You see, they had something that people wanted. And when people want something, that is when you have their permission to share. And it's interesting, I think, that these verses say nothing really about, as it were, preaching the gospel or Bible-bashing people. It's really saying that it was the way in which they lived out their faith that made the difference. And of course, being baptized in the Holy Spirit empowers one. That's the the wonderful benefit of receiving this baptism in the Holy Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues. It's not the speaking in tongues per se that is the empowerment, although you're able to pray in a language that is not your own and you pray things you don't even know about necessarily in your own mind. There's a great power in that. But it's having that that living, life-giving Holy Spirit inside that gives you the courage to do what God has called you to do. It gives you the strength and the wisdom and the presence of mind to truly be an ambassador of Christ in this earth. 
that is the impact of Pentecost. What I'd like to do now is to share with you some data. As you know, my background is economics. I, I love data. And I want to share some with you. And uh, this is not data I've taken from social media feeds, by the way. Um, you don't often get the truth through social media. You do sometimes, but often you don't. Um, I, I've taken this data from the Pew Research Centre, which is one of the world's best research organisations when it comes to matters of faith, not just the Christian faith, but, but all faiths. A little earlier this year in April, I believe, the Pew Research Centre, they're based in the United States, they did a survey in which they asked Americans whether or not their experience during the coronavirus pandemic has strengthened their faith rather than weakened it. And right across US adults as a whole, 24% said that their faith had become stronger. Only 2% said it had become weaker. That's right across the board. When you break it down into those who are Christians, 35%, more than a third, said that their faith had, in fact, become stronger. And some 54% said it hadn't changed much at all. In Pentecostal churches, it was 38%. Evangelical, 42%. And interesting, historically black churches, where the majority of people who go there are uh, of African uh, descent, 56% said that their faith had grown stronger. And I think that's quite a remarkable, a remarkable thing. That even in times of, of great strife, of great trouble, we find a reason to grow our faith. Some other data that I thought I'd share with you today uh, concerns Christianity in a global context. Again, this research is from the, the Pew uh, Research Centre. And uh, this data, I believe, originally came from Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary in the United States, which they, they publish quite regularly uh, world data on Christianity and other faiths. And I, I will refer to their data in a few minutes. But on these two charts, you see the projected change in global Christian and Muslim populations. Uh, Christianity is, at the moment, by far the largest religion in terms of those people who say, yes, I'm a Christian. The second largest is uh, Islam. You can see here that if you go back to uh, the early 21st century, 1.6 billion Muslims in the world, uh, 2.17 billion Christians projecting growth rates through to the middle of this century, just under 3 billion Christians. Other data shows it about 3.5 billion and uh, 2.8 billion uh, Muslims. And if you have a look at that in terms of the percent of the global population, you'll see that 
2010, just over 31% of the global population was Christian, 18% Muslim. As we move towards the middle of the 21st century, 32%, almost a third uh, Christian and around 30% Muslim. And although projections are not really carried past 2050 because they become subject to so much uncertainty, if these projections are continued, by 2070, uh, Muslims would actually be the most uh, numerous in terms of numbers and in terms of percentages uh, in the world. And that's largely because they have larger families, in part it's through conversions, but the main reason is they simply have more children. Thinking about uh, Christianity in... Thank you. Apparently, we've stopped sharing, so we'll get that underway again. Um, someone needs to tell me because I, I'm unable to tell from my computer when that happens. So here we go. You should have that up, up now. Um, if we move to the next slide, this, this slide's got... And now my computer won't move. There we go. Uh, this slide shows the global share of Christians by regions. For the whole pe for the period from 1910, way, but it's about more than 100 years ago, up to 2050. And you can see in Asia Pacific, there's a leveling off uh, during the 21st century. Uh, Europe is the real concern there, a, a very steep decline across the whole of the 20th century and into the 21st century. In part, I'm quite certain that was caused by the experience that people in Europe had during two world wars. Uh, Europe was uh, decimated in both of those world wars, particularly in the First World War. And uh, many people perhaps having an erroneous understanding of the book of Revelation, as I've pointed out before, became very disappointed that what they were expecting to happen never actually happened. They weren't raptured out. The end of the world didn't come and Jesus didn't return to rule for the millennium. And so Christianity is essentially dying out uh, in Europe. It's partly also the result of high rates of migration of Muslim people into, into Europe. And in many countries of Europe, where if you travel there, you'll see there are mosques everywhere. I, I used to go to Germany two or three times a year. Uh, when I was working for one of the universities some time ago, and I was shocked at the number of mosques that there are uh, in Germany. Same thing in the United Kingdom. They're absolutely everywhere. Uh, and in Europe, there are people who are becoming Muslims by conversion as well as through this natural population growth. Latin America and the Caribbean, um, steady growth through the 20th century, slight decline during the 21st century, Middle East and North Africa, not much change there. The, those places are predominantly uh, Muslim by religion. Uh, North America, steadily declining, but the decline is nothing like it was uh, in Europe. But where Christianity is really growing is in sub-Saharan Africa. In, in fact, in general, in the global south, uh, Christianity is growing. And so although the numbers of Christians are not necessarily falling around the world, 
the locus or the center of Christianity is definitely moving. And um, what we're going to see, and we've seen this to some extent already, is that the countries to which European and North American nations sent missionaries in uh, the 19th and 20th centuries and the early 21st century, they will be sending missionaries to us. Those, of course, are projections. So there's lots of assumptions made in those projections. And those, all of those lines on the charts, they can be turned around. If we really understand what it is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, if, and I'm not speaking to us as individuals, I'm talking here about the whole of the church, the whole of the body of Christ. If we receive baptism in the Holy Spirit, if we're prepared then to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, to empower us to bring the gospel, we can actually change those graphs. So that, that's an important thing to note, that those lines, the red lines on the charts that you can see there, they are not necessarily, as it were, stuck in concrete. We can change history. I want to share with you now four important trends in Christianity. And uh, these, these trends are observable in the data provided by Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary through the World Christian Database. It is the most authoritative collection of data on Christians globally. So the first point I want to share with you is this. Christianity is growing faster than the population as a whole. At present, Christianity is growing at about 1.2% per year. Population growth, 1.2%. And although the difference is 0.7%, that doesn't sound a lot, you apply a compound interest rate formula, it is significant over a long period of time. However, Islam, Hinduism, and Sikhism, they're all growing faster. And Islam, of course, may well become a bigger religion in terms of the proportion of the global population towards the end of this century, unless the body of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, becomes more active in spreading the gospel. The second, and I think this is a pretty important point because it does dovetail in with a comment I made last week, Pentecostals and evangelicals are growing faster than other Christian groups. So the growth of Pentecostal movements around the world at 2.26% and evangelicals at 2.19%, those are significantly faster than the growth of Christianity as a whole. Now, Pentecostals, briefly, are those who believe in the empowering of the Holy Spirit that comes through baptism in the Holy Spirit and who have this an, a sense of urgency that the world must know about Jesus. Evangelicals, generally speaking, they're not charismatic. In other words, they don't, uh, they don't necessarily believe in baptism in the Holy Spirit. Their view, generally speaking, would be that the baptism of the Holy Spirit that was evident at that first Pentecost was restricted to a particular window in human history and is not available for us today. On the other hand, Pentecostals believe very, st very strongly that the same outpouring is available for every individual Christian today. And if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, 
I'd love to talk with you about it. Normally, on Pentecost Sunday, we give people an opportunity to come and be baptised in the Holy Spirit. If you haven't had that experience, please feel free to get in touch with Jeanette and myself, and we'll we'll share something with you and um, lead you into that position. And all you have to do is want it. There's no other qualification because it's a free gift that comes from God. So I, I find it, in a sense, comforting that Pentecostals and Evangelicals are growing so quickly because these movements in general, I believe, are more faithful to the truth of Scripture. The third point I'd like to make is that, and I've already mentioned this, Christianity is moving strongly to the global south, especially the sub-Saharan Africa, where hundreds of thousands of people, sometimes a million or more, gather to hear the word of God and signs and miracles happen when they are gathered. As well, with the, the spread of Pentecostal beliefs in particular, the people are becoming economically better off. Why is that? Because we believe in prosperity, not for one's own sake, but for the sake of the whole community. God prospers us for two purposes, according to his word. One is to spread the truth of the gospel, and the other is to help the poor. And it, there is documented evidence in sub-Saharan Africa that as the Pentecostal church has grown, so too those countries have become better off economically. The final point I'd like to make is that the unevangelized world population has been shrinking over the last 120 years or so. It's now less than 29%. And uh, the unevangelized uh, world is defined to include all of those geographical places where less than 2% of the population is Christian. The, um, there's, a, there's a ministry which has um, suggested that there are about 3,000 individual pe people groups who have yet to be touched by the gospel. And um, Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, they believe that there are about 1,600 languages in which the Bible is yet to be translated. So there's a good deal of work still to be done, but nevertheless, the unevangelized world population has been shrinking and is now less than 29%, which is a good thing, though the projections are that it won't fall a lot below that by the middle of the 21st century. Uh, interestingly, at the beginning of the 20th century, only 18% of the world population knew somebody who was a Christian. Now it's about 55%. So the church, in many ways, has done a really good job of spreading the gospel. And when the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit, when people who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit become engaged in sharing the gospel, lives are changed. And my prayer is that each one of us would feel so empowered by the Holy Spirit 
that we would make that change in the lives of people around us.